0: We began this past Monday, a 40-day period of time, asking God to visit us in personal revival. That is asking the Lord to pour out His Spirit in our lives, to move in us, to bring us closer to Him, to experience Him in a deeper way. And the first question in the devotionals this week was this, do I sometimes forget how mighty and awesome God is? Do I sometimes forget how mighty and and awesome God is. All of us sometimes forget how mighty and how awesome God is, particularly when life has a way of throwing some things at us that we didn't anticipate, and we get overwhelmed, and we get to focus in on the problems, and the difficulties, and the disappointments instead of on the Lord. Now, probably all of you all have either on your iPhone or in your car, a GPS system. And if you've got a destination you're going to that you're not too sure how to get there, what do you do? You turn on the GPS, hook into it, and you start focusing on the GPS, and you start listening to the GPS to depend on to get to the place that you want to go to hit that destination. The 100th Psalm is like a GPS to the presence of God. It's a way to tell us this is how you get to God's presence and stay in God's presence. This is how you focus on Him. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, where we're going to see how He guides us in the direction of the presence of God. The 100th Psalm. As you're turning there, allow me to give you the background to this psalm. Psalms 93 through 99, those seven psalms leading up to the 100th psalm form a corpus of psalms of praise, and the 100th psalm sort of functions as a doxology wrapping up what those seven preceding psalms have been about. We believe that this psalm was originally used at the time of what was called the thank offering for ancient Israel. Now, the thank offering was given for specific reasons— First of all, it was given when there was deliverance from distress. When the folks had been delivered from the Lord from a distressful time, they would offer an offering of thanks. It was given at a time of death. It was given at a time of severe sickness, following a vow that you would make to the Lord or in anticipation of spiritual renewal. All of those were times that they would give this thank offering to the Lord. Now, I want you to imagine with me The city of Jerusalem, which was the center of ancient Israel, and in the center of the city was what was called the Temple Mount. If you have seen uh, pictures of the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem today, it's in that general area, and if you've ever seen pictures of the Wailing Wall, which exists to this day where Jews today go up and pray, and they'll stick little prayers into the wall there. Well, that Wailing Wall that exists today is the back of what was known as the Holy of Holies in the temple that dates back to Jesus' time. All that remains of it is that Wailing Wall, which is the back wall of the Holy of Holies. Very sacred in Judaism. Now, in the days of this psalm, you would have had the city of Jerusalem. You would have in the center of the city... The temple area, and the people would have come up to Jerusalem, and you literally have to ascend up to Jerusalem, and then you would ascend once you were in Jerusalem up to the temple area. Now, as they would approach the temple compound, because the temple was surrounded by a great wall and you entered into various courts before you got to the temple, there were several things the folks would have to do. As they would approach, the temple compound, they would intentionally turn their backs on everything that was behind them the rest of the city, the rest of Israel. And symbolically, as they turned and they faced the temple, what they were saying by the physical posture of their body is that we're going to focus on the Lord and on the Lord only. We're not focusing on our problems and our issues. We're not focusing on all the stuff that went on in our lives before we got here. We're not focusing on all our concerns back at home. Right now, we are facing the temple, which represented in ancient Israel the presence of the Lord. And as they would have begun to enter the temple, they would have begun, the folks that attended the temple would have begun to sound what were called the sofars, which were ram's horns. Now, as they would begin to sound those ram's horns, the sound would have been deafening. It would have been deafening for two reasons. One is that the so far made a really loud noise. And the second reason, if you can imagine a loud noise echoing off of solid stone walls and buildings, it just began to mushroom that sound. And so that sound is like an ear-splitting sound that filled the temple area. Now, why did they do that? It was because as they listened to those horns begin to blow, and that sound began to fill the temple area, it filled their ears, it filled their senses, and they were brought by the force of sound and sight to look towards the Lord and to Him only. And then they would have begun to have sung what we have here as the 100th song. So let's join it in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Imagine, again, them making this pilgrimage, this journey into the temple courts, hearing this song around them. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations." Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. It is an insert. I invite you, if you would, to follow along. We're going to focus today on the first three verses of this 100th psalm. The first thing he says there is, Make some noise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Now, the word there, Noise literally means an ear-splitting sound. That is literally what the Hebrew there is. And he's saying when you enter God's presence, make an ear-splitting sound. And if you go back again to that psalm, that's exactly what they would have heard. The singers would have been belting it out for everything that they had. The sofars would have been sounding, and that whole place would have been filled with that ear-splitting sound. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, how do we do that? Some of you all are probably sitting there and thinking, Pastor, if you heard me sing, it would be an ear-splitting sound and a stomach-churning sound. Uh, But that's not so much the idea of how well we sing, it is the idea that our spontaneous response to the presence of God and the glory of God and who He is, is that we cannot contain it within ourselves, and so we just literally explode in worship to Him. Now how do we do that? He'll talk about singing in a few moments, and let me say this about singing, God could care less how good it sounds believe me, people that are around me and hear me sing know what that means. But he could care less about what it sounds to our human ears. It's how it sounds to the ears of God when he hears us begin to praise him. But the way that we live our lives is also a song that we are singing to him. Every time you pray, every time you open your Bible and you begin to read it and say, God, speak to me, that is a joyful noise before the Lord. Every time you share Christ with somebody, that is music in the ear- Of God. Every time you serve and you help somebody in Jesus' name, that is music in the ears of God. And every time we look to the Word of God and how we live our lives and the character with which we live our lives, every time those of you that are parents raise your children and live before them as you walk with the Lord and you teach them the things of God, that is music in the ears of God. That is that joyful noise that He listens to and He receives. And so that's what he's referring to here when he says, make that joyful noise unto the Lord. He says, make that joyful noise to who? Verse 1, to the Lord. Now, if you'll notice, it's capital L-O-R-D. That is the personal name of God. We think it's pronounced either Jehovah or Yahweh, or we're not sure, because the correct pronunciation fell out in of a Usage in antiquity because the Jews believed that God's personal name was too sacred to repeat. So we're not sure. We'll say it's Yahweh. Now Jesus, when we worship Him, is the focus of the worship. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now let me illustrate but well, we get bogged down sometimes in our worship. And I want to emphasize when I say our worship. I don't just mean in a church sanctuary on Sunday morning. Worshiping the Lord is about seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Anywhere you and I are we can worship, and God calls us to worship. He calls for our lives to be a response of worship to Him. Now, some of you get nervous because you see I've got a hula hoop, and you think I'm going to demonstrate how to use a hula hoop. And I'm not going to do that because if I did, I'd throw something out of joint, and y'all would have to carry me out of here today, and they'd have to throw me back into joint over at the emergency room, all right? Although I've got plenty to fill a hula hoop if I wanted to, but I'm not going to do that. Now, if I take this hula hoop and put it around me, I am contained. My body is contained within the hula hoop. And as long as the hula hoop is there, I can't go beyond where this hula hoop is. I am contained within the hula hoop. Now, this is the mistake that so often we make in worship if we're not careful. We get contained in our own issues when it comes to worship. And this is what I mean by that. Often inside our hula hoop of worship, so to speak, are what I call the atmosphere of worship. And the atmosphere is what we like and we don't like. So if you're sitting here today and you say, well, I like the music or I don't like the music, that's happening inside the hula hoop. I like the pastor and the sermon or I don't like the pastor and the sermon, that's contained inside the hula hoop. It's too cold in here or it's too hot in here or it's too bright in here or it's too dark in here. That's the atmosphere of the room, but that's inside the hula hoop. I don't think I dress well enough or I think I dress too well or the person next to me didn't dress good enough or they dress too too well enough, that's inside the hula hoop, the person next to me has got bad breath, and I don't like, I'm going to scoot a little bit away from them because they're bad breath, that's inside the hula hoop, etc. I'm sleepy and tired, how long is he going to preach, I wish he'd shut up so I can get home and beat the Methodist uh, to get spaghetti this afternoon, that's inside the hula hoop. I mean, we've got all kinds of things we put inside this hula hoop. Now, the other thing is the circumstances of our lives. Sometimes we come to church and everything is going in life the way we want it to. We are excited and we are happy because things are going smooth. We're in good health. We got some, you know, a decent amount of money and things are moving the way we like it. That's inside the hula hoop. But sometimes we come to church and things are going raunchy. We just got a pink slip at work. We're not sure if we're going to have a job or not. We got bills piling up. We don't know how we're going to pay them. April the 15th rolled around for us a month or so ago. We thought we were going to get, uh, you know, refund on our taxes, and instead we owed on our taxes. Personal testimony there. And so that gets inside uh, the hula hoop. And we just get all kinds of things inside these hula hoops, and once they get them, we can't worship because we are focused on what's going on inside our hula hoop. And when he says here, make a joyful noise to the Lord, he's saying, don't worship inside your hula hoop. Let God liberate you from that and look beyond that and focus on Him. And too many of us, we can't get past what is surrounding us in the atmosphere of what is surrounding us in the condition of our lives and so because we can't ever get beyond it our worship is always contained like this and we get so frustrated in our worship and our walk with God and we say I just can't go anywhere and it seems to get boring and dry because it does get boring and dry and old inside the hula hoop and what God is saying here when he's telling us in the 100th Psalm is get rid of this thing let me liberate you from this and sing to the Lord look beyond and you see the other thing about the hula hoop is I can't get past it out here and God's out here and as long as I'm contained in the atmosphere and the conditions of my life I I can't get out to where he is so this idea of making a joyful noise to the Lord is I'm getting beyond that and I'm getting into his presence and who he is now the name of God carries several ideas I want you to write these down or look in your notes as we move through this, okay? First of all, this name of God, Jehovah, the root of the name means being. He is the ground of being. In other words, He is the ground of reality. He is truth. If you want to know what truth is, God says in His name, I am truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, So as I come into his presence and I begin to experience him in his word, he exposes me to truth. Number two, the idea of the name of God, Yahweh, is that he is near to his people. In the ancient world, when you gave your name to somebody, it was more than just giving your name to somebody. If I walk up to you and say, hey, my name is David, okay, your name is David, you give me your name, and we know each other's name, big deal. But in the ancient world, if you walked up to somebody and you gave your name to them, it meant that you were inviting them into a relationship with you. You were opening a door to know them. So when God came to his people and said, My name is Yahweh, he was saying, I am calling you. I am inviting you into a deeper relationship with me. I want you to know me, and I want you to know, I want to know you, and that's why I'm giving you my name. So it meant he was near to his people. I want you to listen to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself from secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. You see what God is saying to his people there? I feel heaven. I feel earth. There is no place anyone can go that I'm not there. I'm not a God who's far away. I'm right at your hand. I'm giving you my name because I'm close to you. The third idea behind the name of God is, he, again, he's extending himself in relationship to us. And the fourth idea is that he is extending his relationship to us in what is known in the Scriptures as covenant. Now, let me explain what a covenant was. A covenant was a solemn declaration by God. And in that declaration, God is choosing a very specific covenant. And special relationship that he wants to have with us. And it's because he wants to pour his blessings into our lives. But covenants were made in those days with a price that had to be paid. Someone had to pay a price to do what they call cut the covenant. And often in cutting the covenant a sacrifice was made to say this is important And this is serious business, and a life is being given up in order to enter into this covenant, in order to receive the blessings of the covenant, and in order to be in the relationship of the covenant. Now, this idea here of God giving His name is God is saying, I want a relationship with you, and I'm going to enter into this relationship with you. And this is what this covenant is going to be about. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 38 through 41. God lays out His covenant to the nation of Israel. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is His covenant with us. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. Now, notice verse 39. Well, how that's going to happen. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. For their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. God doesn't back out of it. And I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. God is saying here, when I enter this covenant with you, I'm going to plant a new heart in you and a new way in you. Your heart and your way is going to be after me. You see, we don't, in our own natural selves, we don't want the Lord. We don't necessarily want to serve the Lord, walk with the Lord. God knows that. So God says, Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a new heart in you, I'm going to put a new way in you, I'm going to put a new desire in you. You're going to desire me. You're going to want me. You're going to thirst for me. You're going to want to walk in my ways. I'm going to change your, I'm going to kill the English language here. I'm going to change your wanter inside of you, okay, to where you want me and you desire me. I'm going to change who you are with what I'm going to place inside of you. And then I'm pledging myself to you, and I'm pledging myself to you and for you and your children. And then I love what he says at the end of verse 41. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness. And God says, I'm going to do this with all my heart and with all my soul. God says, I'm going to plant this new heart in you, this new way in you, take you to this new place, and I'm going to do it with all of my heart and with all of my soul. And we say, well, I don't deserve that. How can that, how can that happen? And God says, I got you covered. I covered you at the cross 2,000 years ago. When my son died on the cross for you and shed his blood for you and gave up everything, God poured all of his heart and God poured all of his soul into making this covenant with us and to pouring his blessings on us and to put in a new heart and a new soul into us. God said, I put all of my heart and my soul into it. He says here, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who do we make the joyful noise to? To the Lord. Verse 1 All the earth. That is, all ethnic groups and all cultures. Now, hear his word Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. God is saying, I want worship from all ethnic groups and I want it from all cultures. Our task before him is to give him what he says he wants. I want all the earth, I want all the cultures, I want all the ethnic groups to worship me. So our response to that is simply, Jesus, we're going to go tell everybody we can about you so that all those ethnic groups and all those cultures can worship you. And they can worship you in their cultural expression. That's part of the reason we do missions. It's part of the reason we're sending all these mission teams out. You see, the ultimate reason we send mission teams out this summer is not to go and just have a good time, and we'll do that, and that's wonderful. But the ultimate reason we send teams out and we go out is to share Jesus with people so they will find Jesus, so they can worship Jesus. That's what he calls us to, and that's the worship that he says he wants. Now verse 2, notice what he says next. Serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve there, Hebrew word that meant to work, it meant to be a slave. Serve the Lord with gladness. We're gladness there is the idea of brightening the eyes. Serve the Lord with gladness. You and I will never be where we need to be in our worship and in our relationship with God until we live as a servant. It's not saying, Jesus, how will you serve me today? It's, Jesus, how can I serve you today? And when I get the servant thing down then the joy is going to come. Now, we think it's the exact opposite. If God will just get up in the morning and do everything we're asking Him to do, then we'll have joy. It actually works the total opposite from that. I get up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, how can I serve you? How can I be at your disposal? And as I submit myself to Him and as I serve Him, then the gladness comes in my life. Then the joy comes in my life. Now, look at verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. The word singing there. Excuse me. The word presence. The word presence. Is a Hebrew word that means face. So, He's literally saying, come into the face of the Lord with singing. Now. Now. I want you to think about people's faces, okay? I know that may be a difficult thing to do, all right? But think about a person's face. Think about your face. Does your face look like a painting all the time? In other words, you keep the same face all the time. You never change. Your face just looks the same all the time. No, nobody does that. Our faces are what? They're expressions of what's going on inside. So you smile, you frown, you're sad, you're happy, etc. We walk up to people. What's one of the first things we do? We start reading their facial expressions because their face is telling us what they're thinking, what's going on in them, etc. They're happy and smiling, etc. They're in good shape. If they're frowning or whatever, we know they're in bad shape. So we're looking and judging their facial expressions even more than what we're hearing, what they're saying. If somebody says something to us and their face tells us different, what do we believe in? What's coming out of their mouth and what's on their face? We're believing what comes in their face. We read their eyes. You get the idea. So this idea of coming into the presence of the Lord means I come before His face. In other words, I'm looking into the face of God. We do that in prayer. We do that over His Word. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, I grew up in a big old Victorian-style church with stained glass windows. And they had all these pictures of Jesus. And Jesus looked the same every week in the stained glass. So I thought that's the way Jesus looked all the time. And then they had the men's Bible class next to the church sanctuary. And in the men's Bible class, there was this huge mural way up on the ceiling. And no one ever told me this, but it was some famous artist back in the, the Renaissance that had done this picture of Moses. And... Moses is sitting there on some kind of chair, and you've got flowing robes, great big huge beard. He's looking off in the distance. Now, years later, I realized it was his hair curled, but it looked like he had horns on the front of his head. And he had the Ten Commandments in one hand, and he looked like he was ticked. I mean, you look like you didn't want to get on a red side of him. Well, I didn't. No one ever told me that that was a, a Renaissance version of Moses. I thought it was God. I thought somebody had found a way to picture what God looked like. So I thought, well, that's what God looks like. And I was like, man, I don't think I want to be around God if God looks that way all the time. This is what the psalmist is saying here. Come into his presence with singing. The face of God is as expressive, if not more expressive, than your face. He's not a painting. He's not locked up in stained glass. He is changing all the time. Now, folks, follow me on this. Sometimes we come into the presence of God and there's sin in our life. And the face of God says to us, you need to repent and you need to get right with me. And our singing that he talks about here has to become, Lord, forgive me, Jesus, cleanse me, and Jesus, put me back in fellowship with you because I am responding to the face of God that's telling me I need to get right with Him. As a dad, there were a few times that my son and I were not in the best of a relationship, and he had disappointed me or done something wrong, and so my face would tell him that, and we had to get it right. And sometimes when we come before God's face, we begin to realize, Lord, I need to repent, I need to ask forgiveness, I need for it to be set right. When you come into His presence... He's going to smile at you. He's going to say, I love you. And his face is the face of the resurrected face of Jesus. He is full of life, he is full of energy, he is full of vision, his face is filled with joy. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that someday when we lay our eyes on Him, that we will call Him the Lamb of God. And why will we call Him the Lamb of God? Because His face does carry on it the marks of the crucifixion. His body carries the marks of the crucifixion. And if you can imagine this, when we look upon His face someday, whether it's when He comes again or when you and I go to be with Him through death, we will look upon his face, and when we look upon his face and upon him, we're going to see the marks of the nails that were in his hand, where the crown of thorns was on his forehead, and we're going to worship him as the Lamb of God who died and rose again for us. That is the idea of coming into his presence and singing. Verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The word God there is the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. It speaks of him as creator and as majestic and as all-powerful. He says, I want you, verse 3, to know that the Lord is God. The word know there carries two ideas. Please don't miss this. First of all, it means you use all your senses to know him. You see him. You hear him. You touch him, you smell him, etc. You know all his senses. Using all your senses to experience him. And then it means also the idea of being on firm ground. In other words, he says, come and I want you to experience me with everything that you've got. And then I want you to know with confidence that you're in my presence. And that I'm working in your life. You say, pastor, how in the world do I smell God? God. Well, let me give you a homework assignment. Sometime this week, go out here to one of these mountains that's surrounding Rocky Mount and get away from cars and traffic and noise and walk a mountain path and smell honeysuckle and you smelled God. Smell nature uncorrupted by us humans. And you'll smell the creative hand and creative work of God. God went through there with his creative hand and you can smell it. You can hear what he's done around you. You can see what he's done around you. It is he, verse 3, who has made us. No self-generated people. He made us. And because he made us, we know where we came from and we can know where we're going. Now, verse 3, the last part of it. We are what? We are His people. And the sheep of His pasture. The sheep of His pasture. 23rd Psalm. Go home, let me encourage you and read it. As the sheep of His pasture, we hear His voice. As the sheep of His pasture... We know His provision. As the sheep of His pasture, He restores our soul. As the sheep of His pasture, He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. As the sheep of His pasture, He sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. As the sheep of his pasture, he causes us to lie down in green pastures. As the sheep of his pasture, he anoints us with oil. As the sheep of his pasture, he causes the cup of our life to overflow with him. And as the sheep of his pasture, we will dwell in the house in the presence of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What David was saying when he said that and wrote that, he wrote that as a shepherd. We think he wrote that towards the end of his life and reflected back when he was a boy and he had taken those sheep all through the desert and he said, you know, those sheep, I took care of them. I loved them. I knew each one of them by name. I saw that I kept the disease away from them. If a lion or a bear came up on them, I'd take a... So rod and I'd beat the crud out of that lion or bear and get it off. He said I took care of those sheep. I got them into green pastures. I got them beside still waters got caught up in other fast moving waters. He'd kill them. I took care of my sheep. I would lay down my life for my sheep. That's why he says the Lord is my shepherd. Everything I did for my sheep I know God will do. And Jesus said I am the Good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So why does he say, I don't want? Because when I've got Jesus and when I'm experiencing Jesus for all that Jesus Christ is, I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. Because Jesus is all in all. I want to say to our young people that we recognized earlier, your life's journey from this point is going to take you to different places geographically, take you to different experiences in life. But please don't forget this. Wherever you go, Jesus will be with you. And wherever you go, you don't need to want for anything because Jesus is in your life. Wherever we go in life, He is all we need. I remember when I got married, I thought, how am I ever going to cut this thing called marriage? But I found that Jesus walked with me every step of the way for the last 27 years. When our son was born and we came home from the hospital, I wondered how in the world am I going to be a dad? How am I going to provide for him and take care of him? And were there many hours in there when we were overwhelmed and wondered how we were going to pay the bills, how we were going to get through the night, etc., of course. But I always found something. Jesus has stood with me Every step of the way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's why we can fill the atmosphere with an ear splitting sound praising Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that you are a shepherd.